Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Today is our second week out of Easter. And so we'll be preaching from, we'll be, we'll be hearing God's word through the gospel of Acts. That's our sermon series is Acts. Acts is thick. It's 28 chapters. Um, it's written by Luke, who wasn't around when Jesus was alive. Um, Luke is a doctor turned theologian slash historian that is recording everything. And so it's very comprehensive. Uh, but the key of Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit through the life of the church um, and the witness of the church to the world. That's what Acts is about, and that's what God is really pressing into my heart for our ministry. So um, I don't want to take any more time away from the passage. Could we all turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41, whatever device you guys may have, whatever um, you have on you, Acts chapter 2. So I'm reading from the ESV. Oh man, I wish I could do a turn to your neighbor, but well, um, Acts chapter two, verses one through 41. It's not the whole chapter. It's Acts one through 41. Uh, The title of this passage is God is big enough. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. I highly recommend that even if there are discrepancies in the text that you guys read from the NIV or the NRSV uh, so as to help with um, reading and understanding the passage. So Acts chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, 
Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it for David says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shamed Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. That being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your own sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about three thousand souls this is the word of the lord thanks be to god would you lift up a prayer with me 
God, we thank you for your people. We thank you for your glory. We thank you, God, that you are faithful in our midst, that God, that you do not stop loving on us, that you do not stop uh, reaching out to us, that you do not stop, God, showering your love upon us. And Jesus, I pray that you would be near to us in this time. God, that anything that thwarts your will in our hearts, in our lives in this moment would be cut away in Jesus' name. Father, Lord, that the the enemy would not have any foothold over this particular message, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would cut us to our hearts. God, that we would be able to receive you in everything. We thank you, Lord, for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your grace. Would you... Would your word pierce us like a double-edged sword? Would your word do everything that it was intended to this morning? And would you hide me behind your cross that it is only you that is proclaimed and that it is only you that is magnified? In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. So today we are going over Acts 2, 1 through 41. Now, if you guys, you guys might not notice this, um, or might not have noticed this, um, but actually, we read Acts one through four, Acts two one through four last week as well, and we were starting again from Acts chapter two verse one, and we went through all of forty one. So, if last week, if you guys can remember with me, if you're tracking with me, last week we talked a little bit about the witness of Jesus, and we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, um, and the necessity of our witness. And the need to love one another and the need to pray before the breakthrough, pray before the revelation for prayer is something that we need. If that was what God's word was about in Acts chapter one, in Acts chapter two, this is about everything after the Holy Spirit comes to God's people for the first time. My main idea for this is God's love and God's spirit has the power to bring others to respond in faith. God's love and God's spirit in us has the power to bring others to respond in faith. I want to talk a little bit about the context of the arrival of the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem. Now, if you, when we read it in scripture like this, and when Jane Doe is talking about it, it might sound a little bit easier to swallow and manage. Like, yeah, I've read this before. I've heard about this before. But if you really think about this, it's kind of wild what's happening here. Basically, the disciples are all in one room praying in the upper room of a house. You not, you don't see that regularly. Okay. God's people don't usually gather in houses to pray like that. All right. And, but they were all gathered more than 20 people. Right. And the Holy Spirit falls on them and they all start breaking out in the power of the Holy Spirit in joy and in tongues, little tendrils of what seems like fire. It's the closest thing that you can use to describe it as fire, but it's not really fire falls on them. And they start, they start speaking about the wonders of Jesus Christ in different tongues in the room. Then it fast forwards to everybody on the street because there are a lot of diaspora Jews, a.k.a. a lot of immigrants, a lot of visitors, a lot of tourists, because it's Jerusalem. It's the holy city. Everybody gathers from all over if you, believe in the, if you believe in the Jewish God. And so they are all there, all from all over. It's also like an economic hub um, for people to exchange things, right? Market, merchant, um, merchants from all over. Um, and they all are surprised. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So the word being filled with the Holy Spirit is actually immersion. So it's not necessarily being filled up like a tank, but it's actually a small thing being dunked in a large body of water. It's an immersion of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a short outburst, which means that the disciples were not just speaking in tongues for the rest of their lives. I mean, they could have been, but it was an outburst of the Holy Spirit. It was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was particularly singular and like it like spiked. Um, and to everyone else that was hearing it, hearing everybody speaking gifts of tongues, being, being joy, being in joy, they couldn't keep it amongst themselves. So like when the disciples, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, the disciples couldn't keep it internally. They couldn't keep the joy of the Holy Spirit, the outburst of the Holy Spirit internally. The Holy Spirit did not just move in their hearts. The Holy Spirit led them to act out in worship to God in crazy ways. They could not keep it in. And so they was like just, you know, going nuts. and it attracted the attention of everybody else that was around them outside of the house. They gather, a lot of people gather and they're surprised. Now Luke uses seven, seven's always an important number, seven verbs for surprise. And all of them means like caught off guard, amazed, but also annoyed and agitated because it's just a shocker. Like the key to this passage is that it's supposed to be a shocker, right? And there's seven different verbs for surprise. And it's also you, the only other time that this many verbs are used for the word amazed or surprised is actually in Genesis 8 to 9 in the Tower, Tower of Babel where everybody starts speaking in different languages and they get shocked and confused and they all dissipate. Um, you guys can, I won't explain the Tower of Babel, but I'll encourage you guys to go read it on your own time. It's a great passage to read. Um, yeah, so there are seven different verbs in one go. Why? Because of the sheer craziness of what was going on. Now, I want to clarify something. The, they, here it says tongues. And a lot of people think like it's the gift of tongues that we all know in our day and age today. But actually in this time, in this language, the word tongues actually is a connotation of languages. So it's not that the disciples were breaking out in gifts of tongue, praying out loud. They were actually speaking the gospel to other people in their language. And Luke actually devotes two verses to just explain all the different areas of the world people were from who were gathered in that place. Every single person was represented when the, in the disciples' gospel message um, from, from one side of the world to the other, from Asia to Europe to Western Asia, the Middle East, all over, all different languages are all being spoken out. And there's this understanding that Jews only know Hebrew or Koine Greek. So there was no way that these people on their own would know all this Aramaic, all Arabic, like they would not know all of these Asian languages as well. So um, it's a very shocking phenomenon. And some people are like, what could this mean? Right? 
Like when you dream something and you wake up, you're like, oh my God, that dream was so amazing. What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm, you know, if you dream a nightmare, it's like, ah, what does this mean? And a lot of people have that kind of reaction, but some people, they were like, you know, some people were mocking them, looking at them and being like, that's nothing. The word, the terminology that they use to mock the disciples is they are full of sweet new wine. Now, the understand why this is significant that they say they are full of sweet new wine is that sweet new wine is actually considered to be cheap wine at the time. New wine is only partially fermented, and so it's sweet. If it's partially fermented, it's very, very, very cheap, okay? And so what it means is that they have been getting drunk as cheaply as possible. So everybody who's mocking them is saying, oh, they're binge drinking. They're just kind of out of their minds, like wild animals, like with a lack of integrity um, and a lack of credibility. They were attacking the disciples' integrity and also the credibility of their witness. This is very important. It wasn't just a, oh, like, they don't know what they're saying. It was a, they are drunkards. They are not to be trusted. Um, why? Is it just because they're speaking out in, their, in everyone's different language? If everybody can speak 40 different languages, if 40 different people praise and start speaking 40 different languages in a room, like, when you can speak more languages, isn't that not considered, is that... Is that not considered an effective education? So then why are these people mocking the disciples? If being able to speak more language should speak more to knowledge and credibility than anything, then why are they mocking them? This is because the disciples were not just filled with the Holy Spirit to speak out in tongues, but they were filled with joy. And so we see these two different reactions to the context of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit and acting in faith. One is filled with wonder, like, what could this be? And then the other one is like mocking them, discounting their credibility and their integrity, but also the, the weight of their witness. And it's very, it's very, it sounds very familiar, Right. I'd like to think that that kind of reaction to, to the gospel is not uncommon today. It's like everyone knows that feeling when you're saying something and you're telling the truth. You, maybe you've, I don't know, you've done some crazy trick or you finally mastered a breakdance move or like you finally mastered a handstand or you finally mastered something like crazy, right? Crazy. Um, and you run in. To your, you run to your friends and you're like, bro, look at what I can do. And they're like, yeah, you're right. You're like, nah, look at what I can do. And they're like, you're right. It's like a very frustrating, in the very beginning, you might be like, no, for real, for real. But then afterwards you get pissed. You're like, why aren't you believing me? <laughs> Bruh, why, why would I lie? Um... And it's this frustrating feeling, the feeling of being misunderstood, the feeling of not being believed, 
Or what about when our parents don't believe us? When we finally get a good grade, finally, <laughs> we run to our oh my God, look at what I did. 진짜? 나 봐야 돼. You know what I mean? 일로, 일로 갖고 와. You know? That means um, bring it here. Bring it here. I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. And you're like, no, I really did it. Or it's like, oh, or it's like, if you're studying, you swear you're studying. You know, parents, like, they never come into the room. They never come into the room when you're actually studying. But the second, the second you start procrastinating, I don't know, man. Parents have like a sixth sense. They like come in. They're like, no, we're going to it. Why aren't you studying? You're like, no, I've been studying this whole time. But they're like, yeah, right. And they don't believe you. And you're like, (sighs) what about in a more serious situation when somebody is testifying to a bad thing that has happened to them and people don't believe them? This happens to women often when women are sexually assaulted, um, or when there is any, any kind of situation where there is, not to trigger anybody, I, I apologize if I um, trigger you. Um, it's okay to be distracted for a little bit while I give this illustration. But in the case of, I don't know, a situation where somebody is assaulted or somebody is put in a situation where um, they, ha- they have been mishandled in body and mind or, or spirit. And um, they try to run to another person. This might happen a lot more. Um, I mean, I've seen it happen a lot more to women. Um, when women witness to a situation where they have been mishandled, um, sometimes because of the credibility of the other person or for whatever reason, um, the witness of the woman is not trusted. And in the situation like that, where it's hurtful, uh, one might fall into despair. So the feeling of being misunderstood is a deep, deep feeling that ranges from anger to despair. And when that's, that's how people react when, when bad things happen to good people, but even when good things happen to good people. Right when we when we achieve something or or when we're doing something and we we really are trying our best to be our best selves, um, sometimes other people might not be able to believe that. I don't know if you've seen like um, a lot of people like celebrities, for example, who have a lot of money and have a lot of influence, um, get a lot of like traction, have a lot of clout. Um, they might be torn down by strangers all the more because oftentimes I find that it is the human condition to want to tear down somebody the more you are jealous of them, the more somebody is in a better place than you. So the feeling of misunderstood really ranges. And the disciples are stuck in a situation about the gospel where they are clearly encountering and experiencing something that is mystical, something that is supernatural, something that only can speak to the power of God. And they have a personal relationship with God and God is real to them, but they're in a situation where they are not being believed and their witness is not being believed. And so that's, we see here that the Holy Spirit brings out a very big reaction. And I'm sure that many of us might have experienced this reaction as well. 
One thing, one key thing to note here is that in the witness of the disciples, the Holy Spirit comes before the witness. The significance in that is that the Holy Spirit comes as the powerful presence of God who continues to bring about Israel's salvation through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes before the witness of God. And upon the witness, people might not believe. People might not believe our words. They might not believe our actions. And, but how does Jesus respond? How does, not Jesus, Peter, how does Peter respond to the accusation of other people and their reaction to his genuine encounter of the Holy Spirit and his genuine testimony of the gospel? When they make light of it, when they make him a fool, how do the disciples respond? Peter responds on behalf of the disciples. The first thing he says is, we're not drunk. It's only the third hour. So the first hour is 6 a.m., which means that the third hour, at the time that Peter is preaching this, it's actually 9 a.m. So Peter goes, we're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. Some people, in reaction to being torn down by the world, might crawl away in a cave. I know that is my initial instinct, is if people are like, coming from my life, I'm going to be like, okay, let me just back away from this situation and blend into the wall. Like I'm not here, but Peter actually stands in front of everybody and he starts making a case for the gospel. It's obviously really long. So I'm only going to state it's three points. The three points that he states are number one, that the spirit of God that was promised has arrived in the ministry of Jesus. He refers to Joel to say, look, what has been prophesied is now here and it has come through Jesus Christ. The second thing he says is Jesus is the promised heir through his resurrection. Okay. The first thing he says is this is the result of promise through Joel. And then the next thing that he says is Jesus is the Messiah. And the evidence of that is in the resurrection because the resurrection Peter describes it as the direct, powerful action of God. The direct, powerful action of God. Why? Peter explains that we, Jesus has been freed from death, which means the word freedom from death, it, what that means, what that implies, or is that death is agony and that death holds people captive. That nobody can escape. And that death is a point of deep, deep pain. It is a point of agony. It's a point of sorrow. And nobody can usually escape, but Jesus has because of the direct, powerful action of God. And Jesus, as the exalted Lord, who not only is resurrected, but has gone into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of God, has poured out his spirit. And that's the third point. Jesus, as the exalted Lord, has poured out the spirit. And that all of this is within the promise of God through David. Quote Psalms here to show that everything that was stated before has come to pass. Peter here in some, in like, if you look at this on a, just a logical standpoint, this is an excellent argument. It has support. He states all the necessary components and he makes a very polished argument to say some daring points to Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But he ends on an interesting note. 
So the first thing, the not the first thing, the main thing to take away from the call of Peter and the and this sermon of Peter's is the purpose. So when when the disciples are pointed at, Peter could stand up there and explain the gospel to clear his name. Look, this is where I'm coming from. This is what I've seen. Jesus is real. To clear his name. But the point of Peter's sermon is not actually not to be misunderstood. The point of Peter explaining the gospel is for is the call to receive Jesus for the sake of him extending to other people an invitation to be saved. That is the point of Peter testifying to what he has seen and heard. It is not to be understood by people. It is not to be known by people, but it is to invite others to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Another thing to note is that Peter does not have any education. Peter was a fisherman. That is the lowest job in the social strata of the Jewish people at the time. There is no way Peter would be able to create this eloquent argument on his own. It is solely by the power of the spirit that is manifesting itself physically through the words of Peter, through the witness of Peter. So number one, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Peter. Number two, the purpose of Peter explaining himself in a point of misunderstanding is not to be understood and to be heard, but it is to call others to receive Jesus. And it's not for the sake of being right. Now, why did Peter have to, Jane, why did Peter have to preach it to everyone like that? Like, isn't it scary? Like, how could Peter, like, I, Peter could do that, but I can't do that. I haven't experienced the Holy Spirit like that. You know, I don't, I'm not like eloquent like that. And I, I, I don't, I don't have like, there's nobody scoffing at me. Peter had to preach to everyone like that because the gospel, when the gospel hits your heart, when you've gotten to a point in your life where Jesus is real, where he is real, there's a natural call to action. There's a natural response to act and to speak out what he has heard. It's a natural response to being saved. To the point of, wasn't it scary? When you truly believe that something is good, it speaks for itself. I've given this illustration a bunch of times, right? But uh, we can't do it in COVID right now. But I love eating out, okay? I love trying new foods. I love going into the city, uh, into, I mean, normally New York City, but now we're in Boston. Like, I love going and trying new things. And when I find a new place that I love, y'all are going to hear about it because I'm not going to stop talking about it, right? When you eat something that's so good, you're not going to just hold it in. You're not just going to hold the deliciousness in like, oh, this is so juicy. This hang up star. Oh my God, this gogi is so good. Oh my God. I'm just going to think about it and eat it silently. No, like if it's good, the first thing that comes out is, oh my God. This is so good. 
right? And the next thing you do is you take your close friend, bro, did you hear about this place? Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. We got to go, right? And then you take all your friends. Why do you take your friends? It's not just because it's so good that you have to tell everybody about it. It's because you believe that it is good that when they have it with their own mouths, they're going to like it too. Because you have experienced that it is good beyond a doubt. And you know that it is good beyond a doubt. And you know that they're going to like it. Now, if we think about it in the context of Peter, there is power and authority given to him in the gospel. There is power and authority given to him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good enough. And the gospel is strong enough. And the gospel speaks to its own self. So yes, maybe it was scary. And yes, there is like, I have a lot of social anxiety. Um, standing, learning to stand in front of a camera every week during this time of COVID has been very taxing on my mental health. Um, <laughs> you know, not being able to see you guys and having to look at boxes instead, very taxing on my mental health. But when the gospel is good enough, when the gospel is strong enough, when the gospel incites you to action, it is a natural response to express how good the gospel is. And the gospel is powerful enough, good enough, strong enough to speak for itself. Then, of course, we're going to talk about it. But the other thing that I want to speak to is that. There is power in the Holy Spirit in the midst of all of this. This is not just Peter speaking out what he thinks is right about the gospel for the sake of being right. That's not the case when it comes to this. That's not the significance of what, it, what is going on here. Peter is preaching out of the Holy Spirit as a result of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit comes first. If the Holy Spirit didn't come, this would just be Peter's words. But the Holy Spirit came. And it comes as the powerful presence of God who continues to bring about Israel's salvation. The outpour of the Spirit confirms and continues salvation. And it started with a very visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit in people speaking out in tongues. Some of you guys might be saying, Jane, I've never experienced this. I don't know what it's like to experience all of this. And so does that mean that I should not speak out? Does that mean that I shouldn't be speaking out um, the gospel? Any change of our hearts is a miracle. Uh, somebody, somebody said to me once, and I've, it's really stuck to me, um, it is less of a miracle when, someone is caught, when someone's heart is moved to believe in God in a place where they are hurting in a moment of suffering, in a moment of weakness, it is easy to cry out to a powerful savior that can do all things. But if your life does not have many hills, if your life does not have many valleys, and you still believe, that is the greater miracle of salvation that comes without circumstance. The greater miracle of salvation comes in the fact that we can break from our kingdoms of one and believe in Jesus Christ.
But one key thing, of course, now, now of course, um, we all have been saved, and that is a miracle in and of itself. And yes, all of the but one thing to note from Peter's sermon and from the acts of the disciples that we need to be challenged by is that we can do this too. How many of you in this day and age really truly believe that you can do this too? How many of you truly believe in this day and age that you have just as much authority and power to do this too? How many of you believe that if it was the will of God right now, he can come into your room and make himself known in your room right now and lead you to a point where you can eloquently explain the gospel to thousands of people and they would be saved? If you doubt that, you must know that that is something to repent about because the same Holy Spirit that dwells in Peter is the same Holy Spirit that has saved us today. And yet, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit can manifest in our lives as powerfully as it did back then. See, the driving force of Peter is not his passion. It's not even just his persistence. Yes, the disciples were praying, but that's not what led Peter to have the eloquence to speak. It was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life that he acknowledged in prayer. When we pray and when we persist and when we look to God, it's not that our prayer is making us more powerful, but it is our acknowledgement of God's presence in our lives that leads us to a place where we can allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to manifest more powerfully. And this is the challenge that comes to us in COVID, is that God in his spirit, in his power, is the same God today as he was two millennia ago. In fact, he probably, it's probably within an afternoon of one of his days. And another thing to note, when the gospel is good enough and strong enough, Everything else is weak. Maybe some people still did criticize Peter. We see, we will see throughout the gospel of Acts that his people are constantly persecuted. But when the gospel is strong enough, who cares? When the gospel is strong enough, when the witness of the gospel is strong enough, God doesn't need a bunch of lawyers. God doesn't need a kingdom of lawyers to defend him. He can defend his own self. God God is asking for signposts. People that are courageous enough, people that believe in the strength of God enough to point to what is already true, what is already powerful, and what is already good. So we see here that God in the Holy Spirit does a crazy miracle, not just in one person, Peter, but in all the disciples, they all, all the women and the men in the room, they all start speaking in like all these different languages and everyone gets freaked out and then people misunderstand them and question the integrity and the credibility of their witness. And Peter stands up to defend not himself, but to call other people to believe as well. 
because the gospel is good enough and strong enough and because Jesus understands us and because Jesus has given us all authority on heaven and on earth. There's a lot that, that can be gleaned from this. And I'm just going into what is going on. I'm not even getting to the application bit yet. But there's a lot that can be gleaned just from that. Just from the acts of the disciples. The fact that the Holy Spirit manifested in that way. The fact that they were persistent and praying before the Holy Spirit got there. And the fact that the Holy Spirit hit them all at once. The fact that everybody caught, they caught everybody's attention because it was like crazy. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? But then there were a bunch of people that were like, oh my God, I don't believe these people. They're drunk. And then Peter's like, look, the gospel is real. real. We're not just drunk. Jesus is real. So you got to believe in him. We see that even though that in, that, in, that in itself, we see so much, the really interesting thing is the reaction of those who get saved in this passage. It says in scripture that everyone who was listening was cut to the heart. Who cut them? Not Peter. It ain't Peter. It ain't Peter speaking well. It's the gospel that cut them to the heart. It's the gospel that cut them to, their, to a place of conviction. Cut off all the comfort. Cut off all the security. Cut off all the lies. Cut off all the blame. And their reaction when they are cut to the heart is, what do we do? What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Makes a reference to when Jesus said, do not fall into the corrupt generation. This idea of corrupt generation, it refers, it's a, it's a Leviticus and Deuteronomy ref, reference to Israel in the wilderness when they kept forgetting about him. Repent and be baptized. This moment of salvation for them, this moment where they are cut to the heart and they're like, what do we do? If your words are true, what do we do? They publicly acknowledge that Jesus is Messiah. They acknowledge that baptism for cleaning from impurity is fundamentally connected with the work of Jesus. They acknowledge personal need for repentance and for Jesus as Messiah. They acknowledge that Jesus brings forgiveness. They acknowledge Jesus' presence in their lives. Jesus' attention, Jesus' attention to their needs, and Jesus' intervention for their salvation. And that's like a lot of what people think is like the sinner's prayer. So they acknowledge that they need Jesus, that they need to be purified, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus brings forgiveness, and not just that, that Jesus is in their lives, that Jesus cares for their needs, and that Jesus intervened for their salvation publicly 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 a lot of people think that baptism i mean we have baptism and confirmation in our church but a lot of people think that baptism and confirmation is separate from salvation it is not when we see in the early church if you believe in jesus if you have gotten to a point where the gospel of Jesus Christ has cut you to the heart. There is a need for public problem, proclamation. 
not not as a act of faith or not as an act of might or power. It is a direct response to the gospel, guys. This isn't even about sanctification. This is justification we're talking about. This is the initial point where you're saved. If you're saved, to all of us, there is a burden to live that out in the community and publicly announce. It is a direct effect. What must we do to turn to God? It is, baptism is very fundamental. Now, what can we glean from all of this? There was this one everywhere and a half. I'm sure all of you guys are like, okay, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, what the heck is going on there? Then misunderstanding, then oh my gosh, Peter, oh my gosh, courageousness, and the point of him like speaking out is not being misunderstood. And then, and then they believed and they publicly, and there's a lot of things, a lot of themes going on here. But there are a couple things that I really want to hone in on. Guys, the Holy Spirit brings us power and change that we cannot otherwise bring on our own. The Holy Spirit brings us power and change that we cannot otherwise bring on our own. And the Holy Spirit is with you right now. What we need as Christians is not a behavioral change. It's a heart transformation. But we do not have the tools to transform our own hearts. The only way, the only way that the Holy Spirit can bring us, the only way that we can change is that the Holy Spirit brings us power and change. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit calls us into witness. He comes before our witness and is the power of our witness. So if we need the Holy Spirit to be changed, if encountering God comes with the Holy Spirit, that same encounter with God leads us into witness. It's not that public witnessing of the gospel to people in your life that are saved and not saved, to people in your schools and people in your homes, to people in your families and people in your friends is separate from your salvation, is separate from all the experiences you've had at Arise, separate from all the experiences that you've had at Retreat, separate from your walk with God. That's not true. That's not the case. Okay? The Holy Spirit encounters us and then leads us into a personal and public walk with God. And transformation is transformation because it is visible. It is visible. The criterion for accessing the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit for Luke is, generally speaking, oh, the, the criterion for assessing the powerful spirit of the Holy Spirit for Luke is the observable transformation of the lives of Jesus's followers. When we are not living out the gospel, Jesus is still with us. Jesus is still with us. We don't, need it for, we don't need to act for salvation. But one thing that is directly affected by our actions, other than our persistence in, in, in looking towards God, is the 
credibility of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. The credibility of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power is assessed by other people in the observable transformation in our lives. The second we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our faith not only has an impact in our personal lives, not only has an impact in our families, but it has an impact on everyone that knows us. There is an invitation and a promise of salvation that comes in the Holy Spirit. Whether or not you feel like your life has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have received God, if you believe truly that God is real and that Jesus is your Lord, then the Holy Spirit is at work within you because the fact that you believe that in and of itself is a miracle. But the measure of the observable transformation in your life is often directly linked to your willingness to let him transform you. If you're not willing, God is not going to push you. God is not invasive. And that has an impact on the lives of everyone around you who knows Jesus and doesn't know Jesus. By nature, our faith is communal. Screw everyone that has told you that all you need is individual salvation. Screw everyone that told you that you don't need to share your life with other people. I'm not screw them, but just toss it all aside because it's not true. Faith is communal. Faith is witnessing. That is the observable faith that others see. Now, our actions have no bearing on our salvation, but it does have a bearing on everyone else around us. The Holy Spirit is also our helper. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, Jesus has said in the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is, is the powerful presence of God that enables us to do everything that Jesus did. If y'all can think about that for a second. God is a God of miracles. And he can do all of that. How much are you willing to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to take forth in your witness? See, the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's witness would not have come out if Peter did not witness. I'm going to say that one more time. 3,000 people would not have been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit if Peter did not witness. It's not like the Holy Spirit is just like, boom, you know? The Holy Spirit traditionally, biblically, moves in the witness of his people. So how much are you yourself willing to not just allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart, but show through your action. Because we all have it, guys. We all have it. 
Even if you doubt God, and if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, you have it. You have the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because you would not believe in that on your own. There is no way. There is no bone in our body that would believe that we need a Savior if it was not for the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the power of the Holy Spirit is in you, all of us are capable. All of us are capable. All of us are capable. Okay? So where do you stand in all of this? And when we are saved, there is an appeal to not just a public witness, but a public commitment to his people. If we are to witness and share life outside of church, the inside is that we are publicly committing to Jesus together. Confirmation is not in the, in the presence of the world. It's in the presence of your church family. Baptism is in the presence of your church family. You are publicly confessing that you believe. And at the same time, in immersion baptism, you are signifying being born again into new life. Purification. Simply put, the gospel of Jesus needs to be lived out. We need spiritual disciplines because we need to, because we often, our, our hearts are so prone to wander that we have to direct ourselves to look at God. To be disciplined, to not be distracted. <laughs> but we also see that faith is communal and that faith is active. Not just actively working in our hearts, but active in our actions to others. A lot of us are really afraid to preach the gospel to people that don't believe in Jesus in our lives. When you sit in comfort, and I say this to my own self because it, was, it is so difficult for me as well. When you do not live out the gospel in preaching that, speaking the gospel forth. The Holy Spirit doesn't get an opportunity. And when you speak, when you summon, gather the boldness to speak, God's people, church, the Holy Spirit will work in you. The Holy Spirit will work in you. Would we take a minute to pray? Um, I don't know if there's a name that comes to mind. Um, or if or if you're doubting that the Holy Spirit can move like that in your life. Maybe we can take some time right now to just pray for active faith. Pray for boldness and courage. Pray for, pray for belief that God is good enough. That God is good enough. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. 
For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.